Welcome to the Collaborative Resource Hub by Wellness Provisions. I'm Amy McBride, owner of Wellness Provisions, the most badass wellness business. You're tuning in to the Delay Dying Blog, podcast edition, because who wants to read when you can have someone read to you? Unless you like using your eyeballs. Then catch every single essay over on the website. Just select ones, make it to the podcast. And if you're the pill-popping type, no, supplements, then Wellie P has you covered. We supply rock and rollers with high quality supplements. We're a trustworthy place to go where you can essentially shop blindfolded. Last but not least, my legal disclaimer, nothing in this essay or the Collaborative Resource Hub substitutes medical advice. Please connect with your GP if you need medical guidance. These are my essays, my take on all things wellness, written to educate and inspire. Enjoy today's essay. Death, short stories and reflections on death. One, his fork cut through the pillowy pancakes as a blueberry quietly sleeping was stabbed through the heart. It exploded, the purple pigment melding into the amber maple syrup leaking onto the plate. He made the best blueberry pancakes. He doused them in molasses and maple syrup, but no molasses for me. Sausage links caramelized to a soft crisp on the outside, sat like logs off to the side. He stood at the counter, all his weight on his left side, left forearm resting on the counter, leaning over his plate as he chewed his breakfast for dinner. Bubbles just cresting the gooey surface, spatula in hand, he flipped the next three pancakes. Those would get wrapped in wax paper and consumed the next day. By him, I don't remember getting leftover pancakes. My brother and my mom and I sat at the table eating as my dad held the kitchen down like an anchor. He ate all his meals with us at the table except for breakfast for dinner. That he ate in the kitchen while he continued to cook through his meal. He was an amazing cook. He could have had his own diner. Collards, pancakes, spaghetti, burgers, over easy eggs, scratch made cornbread with jalapenos or corn mixed in. Never fancy always delicious. Delicious was my mom's favorite word to describe his cooking. She would frequently get teased for overusing delicious. She still does by my brother. I did not like his cornbread though. I preferred the antique looking box brand Jiffy. Some nights we were lucky enough to get boxed cornbread. As a kid, I loved those nights. I reached into the glass bottle and pulled the cotton out. I think there's a factory somewhere that makes special cotton just for bottles of vitamins and herbs. Well, any kind of supplement, just not the same cotton that you'd use to remove nail polish or stuff into your ears to try and block out noise. Does anyone even do that? The cotton in supplement jars is like taffy, stretched long and thin. The cotton balls from the store are sweet little puffs like cotton candy. The vitamins, compressed and protected from the taffy-like cotton, don't smell good. They don't smell like sweetened sugar. I pour four in my hand and give them to my dad. I reach over to the night table for the glass of water and hand that to him next. I felt like it was my responsibility to keep my dad healthy, to cure him, for lack of a better word. We would fight it and we would win. My many years peddling supplements, the knowledge I had collected was surely enough to prepare me to deal with stage four lung cancer. I was 27. 
It was up to me to save him. I had to read every book. I had to change his diet. I had to research the best supplements from the best brands. This would make the chemo suck less. This would make the radiation suck less. This would keep him alive. Spoiler alert, it didn't work. The radiation made his skin splotchy and red, tender and sore, more wrinkled. The chemo made him nauseous. He didn't want food. He could hardly swallow his food. He'd choke on his water, the water that was supposed to stop him from choking. The supplements didn't do a thing. The diet, free of processed shit that caused inflammation over his 60-something years, free of coffee that bred an acidic environment otherwise known as a field day for cancer, the nutrient-dense vegetables and quinoa and free-range meat that replaced the garbage didn't do a fucking thing. The optimism that dripped down the living room walls, the careful use of positive vocabulary, don't fight cancer, instead live for sunshine, left impressions on the living room walls, but nowhere else. Years from now, someone will stand in the living room of our former house, deciding where to hang their ugly modern oil painting. Why can't bad art just be bad, not subjective? And they'll notice indentations in the wall. Their hand will glide over the painted drywall as if they're reading Braille. The word smile would confuse them. And then they'll hang their stupid artwork and turn on their stupid TV and watch the news. News that happened whether my dad lived or died. Because happy thoughts didn't fucking work either. I wish we let him eat what he wanted, drink what he wanted, did what he wanted. I wish I realized you can't go up against stage four cancer that had already metastasized to other vital organs in the body. I wish we didn't strip him of any remaining joy left in his world. What was the processed junk food going to do at that point? Give him cancer? He already had it. Give him joy? Why not? He could have used that. I hate that we did what we did. Hindsight's 2020, as they say, for a reason, because it's true. If only we rejected the treatment altogether and let him just live his remaining time building cool stuff in his workspace, eating sugary junk food because it made him happy, and reading boring books on the Civil War that he loved so very much, because he would have been healthier for longer had we foregone flooding his system with poison. We brought hospice in towards the end. How does anyone really know when the end is? What is that defining moment where you think to yourself, take action now? This is the beginning of the end. Looking back, it's easy to put your finger on the days you were in Vietnam, the days they sprayed Agent Orange over the fields. It's easy to say that was the beginning of the end, knowing with cold, cruel certainty what the future held. Looking back, you can say that asshole who got hired at that repulsive money-hungry company who formed the team to develop Agent Orange, that was the beginning of the end. But you only really know after the fact. But nevertheless, hospice set up shop in my parents' bedroom and nurses shuffled back and forth over the threshold between the living and the dying. We were lucky. They were kind, thoughtful nurses. You hear horror stories about the sick or elderly being mistreated. That never happened to us, and I was in a position to stay home and be the full-time daytime caretaker while my mom continued working. She'd come home from work, an office job where crickets in the office made more noise than her co-workers. They were mean bitches like high school girls. They were younger in theory, more attractive in theory, but their rotting, soulless hearts made them ugly. 
they treated my mom like garbage because it's cool to be rude to the older woman in the office, right? I guess my mom didn't get that memo. They sucked. The day they decided to be mean to my mom for no reason was the beginning of the end for them. That was the day their good graces started to decay. The day they started to rot from the inside and breed cancer themselves. I can't imagine what her drive home from work was like every day, trading one gloomy roof for another. The sadness she must have felt could have melted her car like lava, which reaches over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit in its most molten stage, hot enough to melt a car. Her husband was quickly fading away from her, his grasp lessening, his breath slowing, his thoughts unknown, but she was still there. Days didn't turn into months, which would have turned into years, no. Seconds rushed into minutes, which toppled into hours, which amounted to days, a few months. And then the wind blew, a bird flew, and he was gone. Death is not waiting for us at the end of the road. It is walking with us the whole time. Larry Rosenberg. Two, I was walking the perimeter of our house in the country. We had a couple grassy acres on a much, much larger piece of land. The story goes it was family property, that whole side of the street. But as time went on, plots broke apart. The old Southern family land grew a little smaller, and we ended up living in this house that felt like it was in the middle of nowhere. And in reality, that wasn't too far off, nor was the Walmart that was built in the center of town years after we left. I was calling his name. 45 ringing out into the cool air. I'd already found 33 and brought her inside. 78 never went far as he was only six months old at the time. A fluffy little kitten he was. But 45 was adventurous and would wander off into the thick, dark woods that loomed across the street from our house. A street that should have been mellow and unsuspecting, except cars flew down it. You got in their way, you were dead. Third time walking the perimeter of the property and calling out 45's name, I noticed a truck pull over, the driver trudging through the grass and leaves, shovel in hand. He was headed towards the land for sale sign that collected dirt and grime at the entrance of those unforgiving woods. I kept walking. I kept calling. I had errands to run. I needed to get the cats inside so I could leave. He walked closer to the sign. I kept walking. Our paths near intersecting at that point. He projects his voice across the street, not yelling, but loud enough for me to hear. I hit a cat, he said calmly, shovel still in hand. My throat felt tight. Was he gray and white? I asked, the emptiness starting to radiate outwards from my stomach. He didn't reply as I walked over to him and looked down at 45 laying in the front of the land for sale sign. There was no blood and there was no movement. He was dead. I leaned down and picked up 45, his body feeling heavy, disconnected, like two sandbags at either end with a hot water bottle connecting them in the middle. His belly felt different. Maybe it was his spine. I thanked the guy for telling me and then turned around and crossed the street back home. He called out after me, his words reaching my back as I kept walking. I'm really sorry. I'm an animal lover and I walked around the house to the back deck holding 45 in my arms. He was one and a half years old. I'd just moved back home with him and 33, litter mates, best friends, glued at the hip. 
33 was in love with 45. She looked to him for everything, including how to be a cat. So truly, everything. They'd been living as free roam cats in North Carolina for only six months after having left the cramped indoor cat life in Ohio behind them. When I made the decision to let them be free roam, I knew it came with consequences, but they're animals and deserve to live a life outside where they could breathe fresh air, chase bugs and rodents, kill said bugs and rodents, eat said bugs and rodents, and have sunshine hit their skin and grass buffer their paws as they roamed and stalked the land. So if they died while living their most adventurous life, so be it. And that's exactly what happened to 45. After I set him on the deck, the wood planks dried up and buckled at the edges. I rounded up 33 and 78 so they could see him. I wanted to make sure they had an opportunity to understand that he was no longer alive before he was gone for good. They sniffed at him, walked around him for a few seconds, and went on their way. My dad came outside and stood on the deck with me. This was a month and a half into his cancer treatment. He still seemed okay. I said 45 didn't look dead, tears welling in my eyes. He said the truck that hit him killed him, and he was dead. I maintained my composure. He never hugged me. We put 45 into a paper bag and dug a hole in the garden. When my brother's cat died on the same stretch of road, also hit by a speeding car, my dad found her. He walked into the house and said, well, grab a shovel. And my mom and I looked at each other. That's how he announced the death of my brother's cat several years earlier. Grab a shovel. My dad loves animals more than people, I'm sure, but he hid all his feelings. Shovel in hand, I covered 45 with more dirt and just stood there. Actually, I have no idea what I did. This was in 2011, and it's 2023 as I type this story. This part I don't really remember because I was engulfed in sadness. Let's fast forward over the next six months where 33 mourned the loss of her brother and 78 bounced around like nothing changed. 33 was so depressed and lay in all the spots 45 used to sleep. I don't think she ever fully recovered. He was her everything, and she's never been the same since. A broken heart her whole life. I blamed myself for calling out his name with the vehicle approaching. He was running home to my voice and got hit. From that point on, when I called to bring 33 and 78 in, I paid more attention to calling their name and any vehicles within earshot. For years, I would cry, consumed with guilt and fear that maybe 45 hadn't actually been dead. Again, there was no blood. What if I buried my unconscious cat who then came back to life in that paper bag under all that dirt? It was a nightmare that haunted me for many, many years. Until I finally moved out of that house after my dad died and my mom sold it, I replayed that memory of the guy walking with the shovel, thanking him for telling me that he killed my cat. I replayed that memory every single time I drove home and passed that spot, saw that land for sale sign every single day until I finally moved a year and a half later. And now, 33 is sick. She's had cancer for the last year and a half. Her cancer makes localized tumors at a rabies injection site where something went awry. The cancer can take years to develop after just one shot. Every year, more poison injected into the body, more cells getting bent, more chaos brewing in the tissue. 
She's had two tumors sprout up, promptly removed, assisted by anesthesia. But this one is too far gone. She's too far gone. But this cancer won't make her lethargic or rob her of her appetite. She won't turn into skin and bone. She won't wither away like a classically sick being. She'll be healthy until one day the tumor will be too much for her skin to handle and a mutiny will erupt. And then I'll have to step in and end it all. This will likely happen by the end of the year. She made it to the lucky 13. Is a tragic, unexpected death of an animal easier to process? Or is the knowledge of their imminent death looming in the distance like a storm cloud overburdened with rain easier to process? If you can plan for it, does it hurt more or less? Three, friends, family members, celebrities, people you love, people you don't even know, people you haven't spoken to in decades. Death comes for us all. Suicide, car accidents, old age, random mishaps turn deadly. No one is spared. Sometimes the weight of the world is too dark to be processed and transmuted into light, so they choose to disappear. Sometimes they're sick and it turns fatal in the end. Every time they're breathing, and then the second hand moves one notch on the clock, and then they're not. Relationships die, friendships die, past versions of ourselves die. We move on from jobs, we move on from towns we grew up in, we move on from hobbies that no longer spark interest. Everything dies. So love your life, love what you have when you have it. Find something to be thankful for experiencing every day because you might not wake up tomorrow if you could be so lucky to die in your sleep. Or you might not make it home from the grocery store, depending on that coked up psycho speeding up behind you. Love your friends and your family. Tell them you love them. We hear people say that all the time, especially after the tragedy of death. But it's true. Be direct and tell them. Or wise up, get your shit together, control your anger, stop being self-centered, pull your head out of your ass, whatever needs to happen, and show your people you love them through your actions, through your words. Just live from a place of love as often as you can. That's what matters. Because they might not wake up tomorrow or make it home from work tomorrow. When they're gone or when you're gone and we're pulled from this dimension of gravity, you'll know you did your best and connected with the people who mattered to you. Did the passing of animals matter less than people? Do they matter more? Does your best friend passing hurt less than your spouse? Does a child passing hurt more than an adult? Does your life matter to you? Does how you treat others matter to you? Is work more important than your partner or kids? Is your phone more important than your pet? Is running away from the monsters inside of you worth your life? Is running towards them to heal away their presence worth the pain? What matters to you? Who matters to you? No one can confidently say that he will still be living tomorrow. Euripides. Over and out. Amy McBride from Wellness Provisions. Was a mess until I met 